In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Close your eyes for me and picture an anti-vaxxer. Someone who believes that nobody should be told to take their shot. Someone who supports the convoy that went to Ottawa to demand an end to basically all COVID measures. What does that person look like to you? What do they do? Do they look like they run a yoga studio? Do you see them posing perfectly dressed on Instagram with a bottle of freshly pressed organic juice? Do you see them writing cookbooks, urging you to prepare better, healthier, and tastier meals to keep your children growing? Probably not, right? They don't look like that in your mind. But welcome to the burgeoning wellness industry. As this pandemic drags on, a surprising number of wellness influencers have become gateways, helping ordinary people join the ranks of the anti-vax, anti-mandate protesters. That's not to say they all occupied Ottawa, or that they all want to remove Justin Trudeau, or even that they're all falling into the type of rabbit hole that can lead to white supremacy. But some of them are. So what is it about the tremendous growth in the wellness space over the past few years that has pushed some of its influencers in this direction? Why are some people who claim to devote their lives to helping others get and stay healthy so determined to hurt their own message with anti-science rhetoric. And what is that type of messaging doing to the rest of us? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Stacey Lee Kong is a writer and an editor and a commentator. She writes a newsletter called Friday Things, which you can find at fridaythings.com. Hey, Stacey. Hey, Jordan. Why don't you start by telling us Who is Angela Lydon and what is she known for? Some people might know this. I did not. Yeah. So Angela Lydon is a food blogger turned cookbook author. She really rose to fame in the early 2000s, just as wellness in general became more mainstream. So she started blogging in 2008 about going vegan and how that helped heal her relationship to food. She had been suffering from an eating disorder for years and she just like really loved being able to cook and being able to enjoy food, I guess a little bit without worrying about it. And since then, she's become a food personality, really. So she has 600,000 Instagram followers. She's published three cookbooks with Penguin Random House. And she's been covered by just about every single major Canadian news outlet, whether we're talking newspapers, magazines, TV, like she's a personality. And the reason we're talking today is because of a post she made, I guess, on TikTok or Instagram about the convoy that was headed to Ottawa. Can you explain what she said or maybe even just read some of it to us? Yeah, for sure. So it was an Instagram story that she posted on January 28th. And I have to 
acknowledge that this is what made me start paying attention, though I've since heard from people who follow her a bit more closely that she's actually been talking about this stuff for a while. So this Instagram story she posts was at like 4 a.m. on January 28th. She posted, I can't think of anything else except at Freedom Convoy 2022 right now. I get emotional thinking about how this movement has brought a lot of people out of a really dark place. Our family has had many hard conversations over the past two years. What will our future look like if the government continues along the path of lockdowns, segregation, division slash blame, mandates, and censorship? Like many of you, that's not the future we will accept for our kids. I want kids to be able to live freely again, to see their friends smile, to play sports and sing, for all Canadians to be equal, free, and to be able to thrive again. I'm curious at Justin P.J. Trudeau, is this an unacceptable view in quotation marks? And then she goes on to say she's praying for peaceful protests and that love and positive change will prevail. And we don't need to get into the debate about the convoy and the vaccination rates and where the money came from. There's been some question about that. We had a national security analyst uh, on the show a little while ago who kind of explained to us that this is a Canadian movement and we have to confront it. But regardless of all of that stuff, the stuff that I'm interested in is the support for this convoy in the so-called wellness space. So let's mm-hmm. just focus on that. When this post was published and you wrote a newsletter piece about it, were you surprised to see that kind of sanitization but support for the convoy uh, coming from a wellness influencer, for lack of a better term? I wasn't because I've been covering wellness for a while now, like definitely over the past two or three years, I've been paying closer attention. So I already knew that it was a space that is both extremely white and also prone to misinformation. So this made a lot of sense, unfortunately. Why don't we rewind on the wellness space? Because you touched on it at the very beginning that it's kind of been on the rise since the early 2000s. Yeah. How big has it gotten? And and give us a picture of that space for those of us who who never venture into that world. For sure. So wellness is kind of a complicated thing to talk about because it's made up of lots of different bits. So like yoga is wellness, but so is in some ways just like fitness. And there's some beauty things like beauty brands that kind of touch on wellness and self-care. So it's kind of hard to know exactly how big the industry is. We do know that it's growing though. So a 2021 McKinsey and Company survey estimated that the value of the global wellness market is more than 1.5 trillion US dollars. And the Global Wellness Institute, which studies wellness, says it's actually much higher. It's probably closer to 4.5 trillion. Wow. And that's just now. So there's another report that I saw that put the annual growth of the wellness industry at 22%. It went from 148 billion in 2017 to 275 billion in 2020. That's huge amounts of growth. It's a little bit mind-blowing to me, actually, that we're spending so much money on self-care and that self-care is being defined as things that you can buy. It could be crystals. It could be yoga classes. It could be your spin classes. It could be the clothes that you're wearing. Like the wellness space, it's like an an octopus with so many arms going in so many different directions. And I want to make clear here that this is not, you know, going to be exactly true for every influencer or vegan blogger or crunchy mom, which is a term I learned the other day. Where do the general principles of wellness come from? Like this is not, you know, there's modern medicine and this kind of feels like it's a little bit off to the side. 
Yes. So I also want to acknowledge what you're saying, because since I wrote that newsletter, so many people have reached out to say that they had also been noticing this and they had also been worried about this and they felt like they weren't really seeing any kind of widespread coverage of it. And all of those people are within the wellness space. So it's absolutely not every person who's in wellness. But wellness is is really built on white supremacy. So from the very beginning, and I think actually yoga is a good through line mm. because it's probably the most well-established aspect of the wellness space in the West. From the very beginning, wellness really relied on non-Western practices that have been completely separated from their cultural, linguistic, religious, spiritual context. Yoga obviously is a spiritual practice that originated in India. And once you kind of get it translated for a Western audience, what you end up seeing is a mostly white group of people who teach, proliferate, profit off of yoga. And they use words like namaste and they use ideas that are, you know, you'll hear people talk about the like original names for different yoga poses like chaturanga. Mm -hmm. But the people who are actually kind of making yoga into an industry in the West, they are not Indian. They don't have real connections to Indian culture, Indian language. Instead, it almost feels like they're sprinkling on a little bit of culture for authenticity. And I'm saying that in air quotes. I know you can't see them, but it's not really about an authentic experience of yoga. That dynamic is at play all over the place. So having some kind of Eastern or I think increasingly indigenous or just like... Exotic, maybe? Exotic is a good word. Um, yes, exactly that. Having this exoticism means that it's a it's perceived as a more authentic practice, which like plays into a lot of ideas about wildness and being close to nature and going back to the land. And th- these kinds of um, enforced ideas, they're all at play here. But... And I think I always come back to profit. The people who are actually making the money, the people who are turning this into a business are not those cultures. So it ends up being like exoticism and it ends up being kind of appropriation, but also not paired with any kind of like meaningful giving back to the communities that you're actually taking from. And in a second, we're going to talk about how those kind of approaches, the exoticism and kind of appropriation can lead people down an alternative medicine path. First, though, because it takes two to make this work. And I know there are some existing factors that might drive people, particularly women, to the wellness space looking for something. What aren't they getting and what are they chasing uh, when they go down this road? So the reason wellness has gained such a foothold among women is because traditional Western medicine is biased against women. So medical studies don't often include women, that actually has real impacts on our health. So I think there's this very famous example of how crash test dummies are all male. And so women are at a higher risk for injury in a car accident because the car is literally not designed to keep them safe. Well, the same is true of medicine. So when any kind of like literal tablet or, or medication that you ingest is studied, the clinical trials are almost always men, which means that women are at a higher risk of injury from taking this medication, having some kind of adverse reaction because it wasn't designed with us in mind. And if you talk about 
going to the doctor and having our pain not being taken seriously. It's very difficult to get a diagnosis. Women are more likely to die or suffer adverse effects from heart attacks Mm -hmm. because it's harder to identify. And by harder, I mean people aren't trained to identify the signs of heart attack in women. So there's all of these ways that the healthcare system feels stacked against women and it doesn't take us seriously and we don't feel like we're getting the help that we need. And then all of a sudden, here are these other people who say that they can help you. They can help you get more fit. They can help you feel better. You will be healthier. You'll ha- you'll be living a better life. And it's all tied up in these ideas of what a good life looks like and who deserves a good life. Now, what I think is really interesting, though, is that wellness, as I said, is very white. So I wrote for the Globe and Mail a couple of years ago, almost every yoga studio, for example, in Canada is owned by white people. Like on its on the surface, that's fine, right? Like whatever, who cares? Except that ownership and the community that you build, it ends up excluding people. Mm-hmm. So I talked to a lot of people who are getting into the wellness game now, and especially Black women, are doing so because they couldn't find a space where they felt safe or wanted or welcome. So you end up having wellness being as exclusionary for some women as traditional medicine is for some women. But for the people who are finding a space there, the people who it's built for, they are being told that their concerns are real. They're being told that there are ways to help, that if you feel hopeless because something is scary and you don't understand why you're feeling this way, that there are solutions for you. And that, I think, is the most powerful thing. Right. And I mean, in a way, it's very similar to people who did join the convoy. And, you know, we've talked to people about this. And one of the primary things is they feel listened to by these people. They feel seen. And these are people who don't feel seen or listened to in aspects of their regular life. So they find a community here, too. Yes, exactly. The thing that gets kind of sticky, though, is that once you start to realize as a business owner that you can make a lot of money by telling mostly white women that there are ways for them to feel better, then you're kind of motivated to keep doing that, right? And so there's a term, it's called conspirituality. And this is a quote from The Guardian. It describes the sticky intersection of two worlds, the worlds of yoga and juice cleanses, with that of new age thinking and online theories about secret groups covertly controlling the universe. Hmm. Right, so it's, it's fascinating. It's like my new favorite word. If you are already in a space that tells you that doctors and by extension medicine and by extension governments are not really there to take care of you and don't have your best interests at heart, right. then you're already kind of primed to be vulnerable then to this other type of misinformation that says, you know, you shouldn't get vaccinated. You should just have a water fast. Or on Instagram, you have someone who's telling you about the proper way to stretch or the proper way to make this meal or whatever, who also very naturally is going into the idea that vaccines are hiding tracking devices. Because if the root of wellness is telling you that doctors don't care about you and doctors are lying, it's very easy to apply that to any type of authority. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. 
we were on this mission together and we were gonna prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. On the one hand, yes, the appropriation is crappy and, you know, the white gatekeeping might be crappy as well. But in the past, the stakes seemed a lot lower, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can try these crystals. Great. The crystals don't work. Okay. Or maybe you believe them and and you get a bit of a placebo effect. and, And that's great. And you go about your day or your yoga class makes you energized. Awesome. You know, do whatever you want to do. How is the wellness space adapted in the face of a global pandemic and and what's happening there that we need to watch for? Well, all of the things that are challenging about ensuring public health get amplified, right? And that's really what I was thinking of when I was talking about mistrust of government and authority, because here we have, and especially in the West, we have this society that is very built around individualism and personal autonomy and not necessarily thinking of the good of everyone. I think that was something that was really shocking for a lot of people was to see selfishness writ large. Because a lot of what we're talking about for public health, we may not be the primary beneficiary, right? Like it's about thinking about an entire community and how we all have to take care so that the most vulnerable members of our community stay safe. And this is not a message that we actually take very kindly to in the West. Mm -hmm. And then you have this space where it's all about personal responsibility, right? Like wellness is all about personal individual solutions to systemic problems. So wellness doesn't talk about the fact that Black women in particular, their pain is even more dismissed and that the ways that Indigenous women, Indigenous people don't really have equal access to healthcare in Canada. So when you have this system that already doesn't want to think about systems. They want to think about individual, and I would say kind of easier solutions. Like it's a lot easier to buy crystals. It's a lot easier to eat vegan. It's a lot easier to, you know, go to yoga than it is to tackle this very complex, very like entrenched system that is unfair for huge swaths of our our population. It kind of makes sense that when you have government mandates or protections, however you want to think about them, that require you to think in a systemic way, it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that whole idea of, you know, I need to heal my gut was maybe what you would talk about pre-2020. Well, now the way to protect yourself from COVID is only to protect yourself and only by making these particular health and consumer choices. So it really amplifies the entire effect of wellness. That's what COVID has done. Is anybody with influence in this space taking a different tact? It seems like, you know, we want to be careful here. Again, like I said earlier, there are hundreds of thousands of folks in the wellness industry. And I think they often get painted with a broad brush. So who who's out there taking this seriously? You know, I really want to reiterate, it's just regular people that I see taking this seriously. To be fair, it's not just Angela Lydon. Right. There are tons of wellness influencers who have seen a way to connect with and build their audiences by embracing misinformation, by embracing white supremacy, and by embracing the convoy. Joyous Health is one of them. There's a whole bunch of smaller influencers. And I haven't seen anybody at at that stature really speaking out 
in a dedicated way. It's more that I've seen, like more and more people are talking about this, but in terms of seeing someone stand up and say, no, this is wrong. It it really, to me, is the individuals who see something in wellness that speaks to them and who believe in wellness, but who are not blinded to its problems. What about public health officials? Do they even know that this is going on? Are they paying attention to it? Are they taking it seriously? So this isn't necessarily just public health officials, but even like wider media. When I saw this post on a Friday and I actually wasn't going to write about it. I had a bunch of backups. I was going to write about Machine Gun Kelly, who's a rapper. You don't have to think about him if you don't want to. It's fine. Thank you. But (laughs) I'm going to give you permission to just like let that one go. Great. But I just assumed that some of these places that have covered her in the past would talk about it. And instead, I think the focus has really been on the convoy itself or politicians or, as you were saying, American money or whatever. But there's a whole bunch of people here who make healthcare decisions for their families, who are the target audience of these wellness influencers. And I don't think people are really paying attention. And I would, you know, I would question why that is. I think last year I wrote about Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers, the NFL player, who he did not get vaccinated. And that was like a whole thing. And when I was writing about that kind of dynamic, one of the points I wanted to make, and I think it applies here too, is that women make major healthcare decisions and kind of control healthcare spending for their families. And women are the target audience of lots of messages about wellness. Mm. We are the ones who are looking for solutions. We're the ones who are, you know, late at night Googling to try and figure out why our kid feels the way they do or why our guts feel the way they do or, you know, all of these things. And so when we are internalizing all of these messages, it's not like the impact stops with us. Like that would be bad enough. But in fact, the impact spreads. And I think we do have to pay attention to it because this isn't about, I think, blaming women or even blaming a particular swath of women. It's about understanding why women are so vulnerable to these messages and then actually speaking to them. I hope somebody will do that because I haven't seen a lot of it and I'm not the target audience, but it really does feel just to a casual observer like this is a bit of a runaway train. Same. And that's a huge problem that isn't going to go away. Like I think I've I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, the convoy is over and now let's let's think about healing our nation. Wellness is planting these these seeds and someone is tending them and these ideas are growing. And this is like very normal, right? Like this isn't a weird dynamic. Mm-hmm. The idea of women kind of tending the seeds and and being the real protectors to all of these kind of like white supremacist movements, that's a very common dynamic that we've seen in colonization and slavery in like lots of different spaces. So there is a historical precedent and to ignore it is I think to our detriment. Stacy, thank you so much for shedding some light on it with us today. Thank you for having me. Stacy Lee Kong creator of Friday Things. You can check it out and subscribe for free at fridaythings.com. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. 
Don't follow me on Instagram if you're looking for wellness tips. All I got are toddlers and cats. You can write to us anytime at the Big Story Podcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. And of course, you can find this podcast anywhere you get them. Whatever your favorite player is, remember to rate, review, and if your friends don't subscribe, tell them to. Make it happen. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a great and safe weekend, and we'll talk Monday. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.